Welcome to My Heart Songs Podcast number 135, Thanatopia Part 7, I Understand the Dying Process. I present the sixth skill described in Thanatopia, Conscious Aging and a Good Death. Besides delineating the benefits of hospice, topics covered in the evolving manuscript include making deaths less scary, visualizing a good death, harsh realities, the right to die, and the arrivederci of being with others through the process. Ramdas once said, we are all just walking each other home. Death is neither failure nor the enemy, but the natural course of life itself, not to be thwarted with arrogance or a sense of defeat, but expected and accepted. Death is certain, but the timing and manner is not. Most endings are not controllable, as biology and universal laws of physics have their way with me. Death finds meaning when I see myself as part of something greater, a transcendence I can still grasp when all else is falling apart. The narrow focus of Western medicine is to maintain physical health, not care for the soul and spirit. Why would I give to such professionals the power to decide how I pass my remaining days? Prolonging life is not the sole focus of anyone with serious illness. They seek to avoid being a burden to others, deepen relationships, stay aware, and avoid suffering when possible. I don't get to fully choose how or when I will die. I only get to choose how I live right now. Yet I do intend daily to make of my life and my death alike something beautiful. Death's approach causes me to turn back into myself, to tell no lies. Dying at home has transcended the unconventional air that a home birth still inhabits, and its quality and attention to detail are remarkable, though it is clearly not a desired option for everyone. Large terrors, small triumphs, family conflicts, rivalries, and tensions combine to test even stalwart veteran caretakers. They've learned it's better to dwell more on the quality of relationship than time, offering an essential ingredient for a good death. Many hospice workers in particular consider it a privilege to spend time with the dying, gaining entry into a person's life and family surroundings when they are most vulnerable and needing assistance. Taking vital signs, checking supplies, querying about old and new symptoms can be done quickly and efficiently, but that is not the hospice way. The other dimensions of caring, beyond the purely medical and physical, are also addressed. Slowing down to the patient's pace, touching them, holding their hand, listening, creating a comforting milieu of tender concern. They also provide a reassuring grounding because of their knowledge of what is going on, what might happen next, and their understanding of rapidly shifting and multiplying needs. The paradox is that hospice care actually often extends survival rather than hastening demise. Hospice allows me to both unburdened and unburdening. My family and friends can help where they can, but be relieved of many of the challenges of direct care. They can cease bugging me about taking meds or trying to dress wounds. I don't have to be their patient anymore and the focus can shift to moments of grace, peace, and transcendence. When dying, I want sustenance on many levels, the smell, taste, appearance, and significance of certain foods, including the transformative power of a freshly baked pie, even if I can only nibble at a slice. 
with hospice caring for many of the palliative details my loved ones and I can explore what makes us feel human and connected. Together we might make my remaining life more wonderful rather than just less horrible. No need for awkward efforts to put a smiley face on everything. Dying at home allows me to rescue my own demise from the one-size-fits-all approach of hospitals. I may not have any big transformative moments, only ordinary satisfying present unfoldings where even silence can reign. Hospice enables me to have a more human experience, devoid of tubes, monitors, and intrusive interruptions of trying to help personnel that I don't even know. For those who are dying, the depth and intimacy and capacity for deeply satisfying relationships can be tremendous. The beauty of hospice is that it creates the possibility for deep connection. Insulated from hospital noise, routines, and machinery, the potential exists for uninterrupted stretches of time with both caregivers and loved ones. The bedside can be a lonely place, but also one of discovery and unfolding, sharing intimacies never before explored. Within the container of compassionate caring and peaceful presence, there is the spaciousness to let go of regrets, guilt, and the old ways of relating. When a person's final breath is days or moments away, there is nothing still to defend against. Death will not be defeated. Deeper than all the doing and even talking, the essence of -of end-of-life care is simply being with. In a culture where one is almost always busy, slowing down can be a challenge. If I really tune into the dying person, I honor their need to traverse this final passage connected to another, someone who can comfort and reassure, but mostly simply witness. I can learn how to be fully present and available for another long before I use those skills with someone who is dying. Why wait? What compromises, what comprises optimal care for individuals with curable illness is making the best of what is possible become the standard of care everywhere. For hospice to become mainstream, part of the normal continuum of care, a number of structural changes need to happen, among them standardization of best clinical practices. It's unlikely that controlled clinical trials will occur with the dying in order to provide evidence for certain procedures, but the attempts to investigate rigorously what works and what does not through forums where hospice workers can share information and experiences is critical. The foundation of quality palliative care is that the patient defines what is wanted and needed. Everyone else is simply part of the supportive team that allows that to happen in the most efficient and calm manner. The benefits and burdens of each therapeutic intervention must always be weighed, including the option to watch and wait. It becomes an artful dance, keep the person pain-free but able to connect with loved ones and comfortable as much as possible without constant fussing or procedures, even when there are open wounds or messy secretions. A peaceful atmosphere, no matter what is occurring, helps pave the road to a good death. Hospitals assault my senses, even though they are great for acute trauma and treatable illness, just not a place to live and die. Numerous studies confirm that after time in the ICU or resuscitation, both depression and overall quality of life were worse. 
Dialing 911 sets in motion the momentum of medical protocols, which, unless one has clear directives, leads to a whirlwind of help from which it is most difficult to escape. No one wants to die prematurely, but when it's their time, most people want to go quickly and painlessly. In some ways, a hospital seems to be the least supportive place for healing to occur. Noisy, lurking with potential infectious agents, dens of medication and lab mistakes, cafeteria mass-produced food and unlimited sleep disturbances, the time-honored remedies of rest and good nutrition seem lacking. Forget about nurturing peaceful mind or positive visualization practices. While electronic records have brought more organization to the controlled chaos, the reality that medical errors may be the third cause of death in America is sobering. Although not listed formally in national health statistics published each year, a variety of studies have shown the dark side of hospital interventions gone bad. Despite the constant efforts of healthcare providers to improve patient care and minimize complications, many such initiatives are underfunded and not documented. Success in one hospital locale does not often translate to improved standards of care everywhere. The violence of silence is finally being broken as more workers step forward to report unsafe conditions and promote practical, often simple solutions to this complex issue. Groucho Marx cleverly quipped, a hospital bed is a parked taxi with the meter running. I intend to live forever or die trying. I wish to be cremated. One-tenth of my ashes shall be given to my agent as written in our contract. <laughs> Groucho died of pneumonia after spending nearly two months in an L.A. hospital. We are our own best advocate for release from a hospital stay as soon as possible or avoiding it altogether. I shaped my final story, the ultimate denouement, even as its field of view and possibility narrows. How to bring both intention and creativity to the universal experience of dying. Maybe I want to die with my Aikido hakama on and a beloved musical instrument at my side. The average American will experience a year or more disabled and living in a nursing home at five times the cost of independent living. This is not the destiny I imagined for myself. I'm not saying I want to go the route of Harry Truman, who died at age 83 because he refused to evacuate his home near Mount St. Helens when it was erupting. Yet between the two extremes, there lies a vast, unexplored territory of possibilities. Robin Williams reminds us, death is nature's way of saying, your table's ready. Walking into a nursing home or long-term care facility sometimes feels like stepping into an alternate universe. It's not easy on the senses with the smells and moans and depressing atmosphere. Wheelchair-bound elderly sit at tables doing their best to live a normal life, sometimes narrowed to eating, sleeping, and television. Most residents move slowly, suspended in time on the edge of normal society, inhabiting their own personal universe of decrepitude and decline. The sensation of waiting is overwhelmingly palpable. Waiting to eat, waiting to sleep, but mostly waiting to just die. Laughter and joy may exist as well, often in short supply, despite the cheerful attempts of staff to enliven what in so many cases seems already dead. Many of the 77 million baby boomers will simply not tolerate such an existence. 
They are already pushing for changes, traversing the slippery ethical slope of death with dignity on demand, preferring to not live a vegetative existence and to die at home. They want to decide when their table is ready and not necessarily wait until nature takes its course. We each may have to decide where that line is. When I can no longer do anything I enjoy, can't feed myself, become incontinent, lose the ability to move freely or recognize loved ones, perhaps with or without society's permission, I will want my final cocktail. Families want elderly loved ones to be safe with protection from physical harm as well as fraud and abuse. These are paramount concerns. I want my autonomy and may never want to accept being restrained in a railed bed or even wheelchair confined. Forget devastating procedures performed in the interests of prolonging life that often in the end create more suffering. When I can no longer live safely independently, I enter a final crossroads between an enjoyable quality of life and just waiting to die. Many institutions are clearly not able to provide the care needed emotionally, physically, or financially. I expect more from life than safety. I don't want to be in a place where there is a battle for control while getting a task done, such as dressing, bathing, grooming, or eating, and accomplishing that task becomes more important than the person and their feelings. Normally, I sleep, work, and play in different places. This is somewhat hardwired for humans, yet it's not the reality of many nursing homes, which might be better termed nursing, prison, orphanage institutions. There is something called the prisoner's cinema. One begins to hallucinate after a few hours when they endure a complete lack of visual stimuli. In the absence of light, our million-old circadian rhythms rapidly decalibrate with negative consequences for many biological systems, all wrapped up in the chaos of time distortion. Combined with prescriptions for multiple mood-altering drugs, no wonder so many residents of nursing homes seem so out of it in terms of orientation and stability. I do understand that not every family has the expertise and resources, both time, money, and patience, to care for a loved one at home. There are now many options available which provide a continuum of care for the elderly. With assisted living programs, one can progress from independent living to skilled nursing care and even to hospice without changing locales. Housekeeping, prepared meals, medication reminders can be part of the package, even earlier in the more independent phase. A key feature is monitoring of the resident's ability to perform the normal activities of daily living safely. They also provide coordination of outside health care when necessary and social activities, which have been shown to enhance, enhance resiliency in the aged. Some can be used during periods of temporary incapacity as a bridge between hospital and home. About three-quarters of a million seniors live in such communities, with the quality of care and training standards varying state by state. Concerns abound that the horror stories often told of institutional nursing homes are simply being transferred to these entities with incompetent or insufficient staff and deterioration of the physical facilities. Although they are clearly filling an important need and must integrate, most integrate, most operate with integrity, we must remain on guard for the bad apples that always seem to exist. One need not choose between neglect and institutionalization. Alternatives like Eden and the Pioneer Network are trying to create new paradigms. Advanced health care directives help to preserve my decision-making powers. 
even when a sudden stroke, heart attack, or car crash suddenly and significantly threaten my quality of life. A Turkish proverb tells us, death is the black camel that kneels before every door. Sooner or later, you must ride the camel. What's enough? In my younger years, this query was an expansive one, evaluating success and accumulation of material goods. Now it becomes more about limitations and how much I can give up and still want to live. Is it enough if I can hold a loved one's hand, talk, see, hear, still possess my limbs, be mobile, remember who I am with? Is the loss of any one of those basic faculties the final deal-breaker, the impetus that makes me yearn for that final camel ride? I may not know what faculties I cannot live without and still want to remain alive until I get there. And I can make my best guess and put it in writing. The incessant assault of medical interventions at the very end of life is the shadow side of the extraordinary progress science and technology have made. What is needed is a revolution, which begins with a very low-tech process, actually talking with people about what they'd like for end-of-life care. Although the overwhelming majority of Americans say they wish to die at home with family and friends, free of institutional attempts to prolong a life from which they are ready to depart, less than one-fourth of those over age 65 die at home. There is a dizzying array of practical decisions and an enormous amount of emotional turbulence to be traversed before I can be clear about my own end-of-life desires. Realizing that things may change, I have to make some decisions now or potentially pay a price that may haunt my final days. Everything in this culture encourages me to avoid the topic of dying. Supported by revolutionary friends, I acknowledge the truth that denial is a major impediment to a peaceful passing. Death is not the enemy, just a natural event. Whatever interferes with a good death, as I define it, is the real adversary, whether modern medicine, hospital regimens, or the family's fears. I keep clarifying my intentions about how I want to die. At a minimum, my advance directives, five wishes, physicians' orders for life-sustaining treatment, and will are all accurate and in good order. Thanks as always for listening, and remember friends and family can easily sign up at myheartsongs.org.